You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. As mentioned to you last week, Liam is away for his last little bit of time off this year and he's promised us that he's going to be back. I think we can all say that he probably needs to go for a bit of a lie down after such a stellar performance last week, so I'll forgive him. I hope you forgive him. Today, our episode is called Building a Capital Stack. And I'm joined by a really, really interesting guest who I've been getting to know more and more over the last few weeks. Um, So we're really extremely lucky to be joined by Sam Lowney, who is founder and managing director of Merry Oaks Finance, who provide property finance solutions for both investors and developers. How are you today, Sam? Very, very good. Thanks for having me. Today is the best day of your life, right? I was going to say it's the best day of my life, but I said that last time we did something like this. And uh, and sometimes people think it's a little bit cheesy, but at the end of the day, yes, it is the best day of my life. Tomorrow will be even better and the best is yet to come. You see, well, I, came on, I came on to your podcast a few weeks ago and when I was your guest, you said today was the best day of your life. So I was hoping <laughs> that when you were my guest, you'd say the same thing, but clearly, clearly not. No, no, you know what? It genuinely is. I just sometimes don't like to rub it in everyone's face. <laughs> <laughs> rub, rub away, rub away. So, Sam, tell the audience, tell the listeners who you are, your experience, your business, and how you're innovating in the sector. So, I started in property 20 years ago. I started out as an estate agent. I am originally from Durham in the northeast. That's where I grew up. And where's your accent gone? Well, uh, no one understands if you talk like that all the time, right? So, I, and I, was hang- I moved to London and I studied business and I was hanging out with lots of Greek people, Spanish people, Italian people, German people. And it was just something that happened quite naturally that I, I started to pronounce my words a little bit more um, round, in a more rounded fashion. Um, and it helped me, you know, and then, and then I started working as an estate agent. And so when I was trying to show houses to people, I would try to explain all the features and benefits and I would try to, you know, just not be, I still have a little bit of a twang. I mean, when I get drunk and I go back up North and it all starts flooding back, it all comes spiraling out. But, um, and then Durham as well in general, it, they call you a post Geordie if you're up from the Northeast. So, so it's a little bit more bland, but overall, you're not even that you're just posh now, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Living in London. Um, But no, no, it's, uh, it was a great time for me because I moved to London to, to study business. And whilst I was studying, I got a job as an estate agent, which was part time and for free for three months because nobody, really, nobody would give me a job, a paid job while I was studying full time, not an estate agency anyway. And I always wanted to be an estate agent when I was growing up, um, which some people, especially at the estate agency, thought I was mad. They were like, what are you? In fact, there's a lady called uh, called Charlotte who I work with who reached out to me a few weeks ago to congratulate me on on everything that's going on, and um, and she was like, "Hey Sam, do you remember the conversations we had?" She's like, "You did really well, actually. You, you know, you stuck with it." So, anyway, I um, I that was a good first experience. After three months, they gave me a part time job with pay. It was like three pound eighty one an hour. I think the minimum wage was just coming in at that time. 
and it was great because then all the weekends all the holidays that other people were on i'd come in and fill in anyone that was sick they would call me but then what happened is i was studying less and less and i was missing lectures to go and work because i loved it so much it was really what i want, always wanted to do and i became very good at it i started to sell properties um and i'd saved up a little bit of cash and uh, my dad had told me nobody wants a business graduate with no work experience to so go and buy a property with it so that's exactly what i did he said either give it to your mum to save or buy a property and i was like i'm not going to give it to my mum because that's no brainer there right it's like i'm going to spend it on something and if it's a property i want to spend it on, i'll buy that then <laughs> so i bought a property um and we flipped it six months and uh you know double the equity you know, at times the 90 95 mortgages were available and um and my dad having been in property as well in the northeast back in the 80s where he was buying these you know, coal mining pet villages, uh, properties, two up, two downs for like a grand, 2,000, selling for three, 4,000. He really liked the idea of investing in London. Um, my mother's kind of involved in it all as well. She's super enthusiastic. So anyway, brought a bunch of cash down uh, to London and we decided to go together. So we, we bought and sold properties um, here in London. We held on to a bunch. And in 2008, the music stopped and we decided to just pay off all of the loans because of the interest rates collapsed and we were in these lifetime trackers and because uh the rents went through the roof you know every, nobody was buying everybody was renting rental demand was crazy and the prices were going up we were able to have a huge profit margin at the end of every month with relatively low uh, loan sizes and we we by 2015 paid off everything and in 2010 and 2015 we had another property boom so anyway 20 by 2015 we had this unencumbered portfolio and that had gone up in value so i decided to refinance and go again uh, and today i've got four small projects on the go um ranging from uh like office to residential conversion converting a three-story building into nine self-contained studios and eight bed hmo and also over the last four or five years i've built i was a founding member of uh, of a lending business i built with the, the, the founder and ceo paul oberschneider uh, a firm called hilltop credit partners which is thriving today doing really well we built the fund from zero to 300 million um we've deployed over 80 million i was ahead of origination sourcing the developers and projects to deploy that capital across the uk development finance and I recently exited that business and, and, and started up Marriott Property Finance, which is a debt and equity advisory finance firm for SME developers, helping them fund their next projects. Amazing. What a, what a story. And so, so just so both myself and the audience understand, you now effectively have just founded, very recently I understand it, um, your own business, uh, Marriott Finance. Yeah, so your baby. that's my baby. Yes. Yeah, so I even have the T-shirt, which matches the kind of peach that goes on the logo. I thought I'd be uh, in keeping with that. But yeah, very on brand, very on brand. It's a, it's a great it's a great opportunity for me to work more closely with investors and developers. I absolutely love property, you know, across I the board. Tell. Yeah, I really, really do. I love everything about it. So in my career, I've been an estate agent, an investor. I am a landlord, a developer um, and a lender. 
and now I get to be a broker and I get to help SMEs, developers, investors, whatever their funding requirements may be. If they're building a portfolio, if they're doing buy to hold, if they're doing small stuff, um, if they're doing larger scale development, if they're doing build to rent, PBSA, I'm working on some stuff at the moment for, for some very, very cool guys. It's just all very, very good. And you've got so much experience from all these different areas that I'm guessing you're giving out some great advice, which is amazing. So you have had, by all accounts, probably a very busy few months. It must have been very hard work. So, so tell me, in these last few months, what's the biggest surprise that you've had? Well, the, the biggest surprise I've had is the positive reaction so far in the marketplace from uh, the support that I've had and the people that have already reached out to me and said, we want to do something with you. These, some of these people are people that I was like hoping that at some point in the future. I notice you. Yeah, they might. They, oh, and they'll be like, you know what? I, I, I just thought that they'll wait for me to do something or other or make an announcement that the business is going. But straight off the bat, they're like, yep, we want you to help us with the X, Y and Z. And I'm, like, and I'm very, 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 very pleased and very, very grateful for that. That sounds great. You're uh, clearly on to something. So getting to the topic of today's or the subject of today's episode, you wanted to talk to me about building a capital stack. Could you describe exactly what you mean? Yes, I will do exactly <laughs> that. So a capital stack is literally a stack of different tranches of capital of, of funds of money um, to be able to fund a project so if you imagine the capital stack is at when it's at a hundred percent at different tranches different segments of that ca capital stack you will have different um, costs of capital different uh, security packages uh, different people with different appetites uh, that you've got to be able to piece it all together to get to 100% to unlock the, the opportunity. So I always say that the three most important things in property to do development, to do um, investment, you need to be able to find the deal, you need to be able to know what to do with it when you find it, whether it be planning or construction, et cetera, to add the value, um, but you need to also have the finance available to you. So where I come in as a, I think where I'd like to specialize in throughout that, even though I'm kind of competent with all three, it's the finance and building the capital stack because it's rare that somebody will have a hundred percent of all the cash to do a deal on their own it's very very rare nobody Nor every, they want to spend it all at the same time you wouldn't want to necessarily deploy it right exactly you know people like to spread their risk across multiple different projects they they want to keep cash in the bank just for a rainy day um and leverage has uh, you know it has great power to to increase people's returns yes it does also increase risk but it uh, it commensurately increases the the return and it's very common for people to use some form of uh, leverage whether it be at the lower end at the scene what we call the senior debt uh, or whether it be going you know crazy high into third-party equity but all of that has various nuances it's funny i was speaking to a developer this morning i was speaking to a, um, a commercial agent this morning as well about exactly that how to build a capital stack because they were like you know what i've got x amount of cash but i want to do slightly bigger projects or i want to grow faster so i'm like it is possible but you've got to take into consideration that if you are going to build a capital stack in a certain way there's great rewards but you've got to be able to understand and, and manage those risks along along the way okay so capital stack comprises three layers typically senior debt 
mezzanine debt, and then equity. So you were just talking about advising someone of the risks and the rewards. So it almost feels like the perfect opportunity without obviously case studying them. But what, so what was your advice to them about how to go about it? And I guess why to go about it in, in that way? One, just, uh, before I jump into that as well, you've got one extra segment on that, which is your own equity. So you've got the senior, the junior, the third party equity, and then you've got to make sure that you either have your own or if you don't have your own, then you've got to make sure the other piece is, is solid. So there's potentially up to four. In terms of what the, the, the advice that I gave them, the first thing they've got to do is to practice on finding deals, right? So if they're, if like one of them was a bit younger and I thought, you know, you got to go and find some deals, run some numbers, build your appraisal model, start running some numbers through that and seeing what works. And then, and then what we can do is we can take a senior position and we can look at what senior debt will do. So we've got some really clever, clever bridging products these days that will give you like 90% of the purchase price and then hundred percent of build costs. These are on small flip refurbished stuff. Um, and whether you've got to do lease extensions and lease options and stuff, you can go and practice and build a little appraisal. I'll have a look through it for you. And then we'll see what the equity requirement is. And then we'll see how short you are on the equity that you've got. And then based on how short you are, we can then go to the market and see who, which type of equity investors have that kind of appetite for what you're trying to do. So that was the first uh, bit of advice to that guy. Then the other guy, now he's got a, he's got a good track record actually. And he's, he's quite experienced and he's just teetering on taking on that next step, you know, taking, getting himself off the tools and really getting into much more of a developer role. He knows how to build. He can get, you know, he can build a whole house pretty much by himself, give or take, but he just needs to be able to now take a step back and be able to find sites, manage teams and bring in cash to be able to scale up. So his biggest thing is he actually likes to understand how the money works. He was saying that when I was younger, you know, I would have always liked to be in finance, in fact, you know, if I didn't get into kind of construction. But what I told, and then he likes to be able to go and pound the streets and find the money himself. So it's like, well, yes, you can do that, but then who's going to be out there looking for the sites? You know, you can't, you can't be everywhere all the time. And then if you, if you are finding the money and you're finding the sites, who's managing the teams? You know, who's, bring, who's making sure you bring the teams on site and managing the project. So you've got to be able to surround yourself with people that can add value in where you're not so strong. You've got, I think if you're going to be an investor developer, you have to have a little bit of knowledge about everything, you know, one way or another, if you don't have knowledge, you, that, that's where the biggest risks are, you know, the biggest risk are not knowing what you're doing. So it's great that he likes to um, know how this capital stack is built, all the various security packages, all the cost of capital that associated with it. All of that's really important. And that's good that he knows that. But I think for people like that, who've got great talent in finding sites and building them out, adding value through planning, they should focus on doing that because that's where you're going to get the majority of the returns, not from piecing together cash, which is overall a marginal cost of capital across the project. Got you. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. I'm piecing this together in my mind now, Sam, and we're going to jump back to my next questions and, and the rest of the conversation after this break. Own the Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link, software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. 
find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So Sam, I run a startup business or software business. And for me, it's always imperative to have runway. Funding is incredibly important so that we can continue to do business, continue to grow, etc., etc. What I am troubled with about building a capital stack, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, is can you build a capital stack without having the project? So you, I come to you with a development appraisal and say, this, I think this stacks up, this works. I've got my capital stack, or do I have to find something that stacks up and then go and get my capital stack? How do I do it? So firstly, by the way, I just want to say that I do really like C-Link and I'm already, you know, very excited about Get in there. In, in, introducing <laughs> other people to it. Because I, I mentioned it this morning as well and like it just sounds great. So, but that, uh, so with regards to building a capital stack before you have a project or a case study, yes, you, I mean, you're not going to build it specifically because each project has its own little nuances it'll have um and, and there's so many different lenders and investors out there that you're always going to build it in a slightly different way depending on on what that project looks like the timelines the size etc now the important thing is though you have to make sure in my opinion the way i always see it is you've got money in your pocket before you go shopping so you need to know what sort of capital is available to you um, before you go out starting offering on projects because if you end up offering on something that you're unlikely to get funding on then what's the point you know or, or or you don't know exactly how much equity that you've got to put into something so having an idea of how the capital stack's going to look you're never going to get a specific answer but you'll have an idea of how to build it you can do that in advance but eventually, you'll need a, a case study to be able to really plug some real numbers into it. Okay, so effectively, cultivate the relationships, understand broadly what your stack is, and then you get into the specifics case by case as it comes up. But if you haven't got those relationships, it's going to take a lot longer to actually do your cases. So that does, that does make sense. So have you personally, or have you seen people make mistakes in the past trying to build a capital stack yeah absolutely so the biggest pain point for people when they're looking for funding is building the capital stack you know when it comes to the finances because they, they go out and they get senior debt which is usually the easiest part to find and then they know that they're short on equity they so they get themselves into a risky position because in some cases they get really excited about a deal and they exchange on it I mean, I've been recently dealing with some agents that are incredibly, um, I want to find a better word, but aggressive, you know, that, you know, they're like, you know, you've got to exchange now and like, you can't do anything, no evaluation, no surveys, no time, no nothing, you got to just do it. And they're like, so people, some people that are, I don't know whether they're inexperienced or maybe where they're really bold and, and courageous, but one way or another, they get themselves into an exchange thinking, oh, I will build a capital stack, even though I don't have enough money to buy it outright in cash. And if I go and get some funding from the senior lender, which is usually, as I said, a relatively easy part to piece together because it's the lowest risk, 
they need to go and find mezzanine or they need to find third party equity. And they, that's where they struggle. Those are the hardest bits to find. The mezzanine is the easier part. The higher you go up the stack, the harder it gets. So the, the third party equity is like the holy grail. If you can get that ready to go time after time, you can basically do an unlimited amount of projects seemingly. So, so, but it's not readily available and it's very hard to piece together. It takes a long time to do all the due diligence and the checks and, and to build a relationship. It's a very relationship driven uh, part of the stack and people, they just get too excited. They exchange and they get themselves into, into a, into a sorry mess. So one of the solutions that we had when I was working with Hilltop, one of the reasons why they're a good lender or a good proposition in the marketplace is they, they try and solve that problem by providing a significant stretch up to pretty much all the senior, all the mes, and a portion of the equity. So they try and be a uni tranche lender trying to do the whole thing in one go. Now, in itself, there's all kinds of nuances and risks and rewards. Of it. So they try to do the senior and the mezzanine? Yeah, there's literally not, not many lenders that actually try to do that. And as I said, it there's all kinds of risks associated with doing that on, on all on, on all sides and it's not and it's not for everybody because the more debt you take on the the riskier it is you know you got you, you're on the hook for that cash you got to pay it back a lot of lend, a lot of developers a lot of investors they just prefer to take lower leverage and, and chunkier bits of equity uh, even though it's going to overall cost them more and their overall returns are a lot less but their risk is less so the point is that there are again a variety of different ways of piecing this all together um some lenders try and solve the problem or some investors try and solve the problem in one way which works for some people some do it another way the only way really in my opinion the reason why i've set up mary Oaks property finance is to go to somebody that really knows what they're doing within this space to be able to help you through it because unless you are in finance your skill set is not geared up to be able to unlock the 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 efficiency so either in, in the land the construction the sales side yeah no i completely understand so the legals yeah 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 and this may be a very naive question but i've got to ask it is so again going back to the build up of the capital stack senior debt mezzanine debt equity plus your own equity so you've got those four steps four sides let's say of the of of the pieces of the pie what is and i appreciate again that every project and every development is subjective but what how would you want to see that would you want 50 percent senior to, is is there a best way to manage the capital stack so yeah there is a kind of a traditional kind of a way of doing it which which is common and that is typically you'll get a, let's say, 60% LTGDV loan from your senior lender. Um, and that will cap out at, let's say, 75% of costs, so 75% LTC. Um, then you'll get a junior lender that will do, let's say, um, or a mezzanine lender that will go up to 90% of costs. Um, and that might stretch to, let's say, 70% LTGDV. And then that final stretch could be anything up to 98% of cost, 95% of cost is quite common. That would be the third party equity. So that two to 5% of project cost is what the developer will be required to put in. But that's the most common way that, obviously it moves around um, a little here and there, but that, that's pretty much the most common um, structure. And for you, I mean, we've talked on this episode before about, uh, I think it was in episode, 22 we talked about a particular case where 
someone had mezzanine finance where they were getting incredibly high fees for failure to complete. What are the primary risks for you with building a capital stack? Certainty is the most is is the biggest risk. So a couple of the case studies that always ring ring a bell in my mind is when the 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 developer goes out and and tries to piece the senior and the mes together, which historically because of things like intercredit agreements, it's quite hard to get two people to agree on which part of the risk are they taking with first charges, second charges, and and a whole, you know, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? And it starts to get really drawn out. And the solicitors get involved. They get paid for drawing it out as well, which, you know, never helps. So on on one occasion, one instance, these guys were literally in the market for nine months trying to get a senior and mez piece to stick together. And they just couldn't do it. So they literally, by the time they got the offer from the mezzanine lender, it was one million pounds shorter than what they actually needed. So yes, we got the outline terms, you know, on on month three of searching for this stuff. But when actually all the due diligence was finally done, it took six months to get to that point. They said, we'll give you the money, but not the entire two million. We'll only give you one million of it. So at which point the deal's dead, I guess, right? Well, I mean these are these are large sites, so there's not that many people that are that are you know that are going for these. So they had a little almost dead. I mean it's still a deal, somebody's gonna swoop in and then maybe they've got to pay the, the landowner another uh, you know, a token to keep them on the hook for another twelve months while they go and try and or another six months while they go and try and piece something else together. But literally the whole capital stack did fall apart because they did have to start from square one because the senior lender had been sitting around waiting with these offers saying, you know what, if you're not going to use our cash and you can't do the deal, our money, we'll our money's elsewhere. off the table and we're going to deploy it elsewhere. Exactly. So they had to build the whole thing from scratch again. And what were the warning signs that were missed in that case? So the it, it's all down to, I think, preparation, underwriting as early as possible. I think that one of the reasons why this happens is I don't want to speak bad or ill of other brokers, but I have been in the market. I mean, I reviewed over 504 applications last year for finance, for development finance. And a lot of those applications were not very well put together. They're literally just post boxes. So somebody asks for something, they'll just copy and paste an email onto five or 10 different funders. It kind of might look good on paper, but when you start scratching the surface, there's loads of hair on the deal and, and it takes a long time to unravel all of these different problems. And so that three, uh, usually it should take eight, 12 weeks to really deploy development finance. Uh, I mean, that, that that's, a, that's at a fair rate, but, it ends up taking a lot longer because there just hasn't been the the care um, in preparing the proposal in the first instance because the brokers are just not well equipped enough. They don't necessarily have the experience of being the investor developer themselves to ask the right questions. They don't necessarily have the 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 experience of what a lender is going to be asking because they've never worked on that side of the fence. So so they're just doing their best to be fair in passing on information. Some of them take bit of time and effort and try to make it look presentable and some of them just copy and paste but i think if you're not doing any underwriting before you pass the deal on to a funder if you're not asking questions to your client saying you know what well, I, I don't think that that gdv is very realistic uh, you know because that's what happens right so the, they'll, they'll send something on and they'll say uh you know well well the gdv on this is going to be 10 million 
when they haven't that's what the developers thought or that's what an estate agents told the developer and they thought yeah that, that that that's achievable but why when you dig into the detail a little bit you find that actually it's not 10 million it's from 8.5 and that's a, makes a significant difference on the deal and that might not come to light until much further down the line and then they'd go back to the drawing board you might have to renegotiate with the landowner to see if you can get a slightly bigger discount and it just drags everything out and makes it all really painful understood okay so i now understand what you mean by building a capital stack and i think it's been very interesting to unpack that topic i think there's plenty of other things that we could talk about to be honest with you uh, sam but we only have a short period of time on these podcasts sadly so i have one one last question for you because you seem like a man who a has a breadth of experience but also has a bit of an appetite for learning and expanding your knowledge so what things are you researching right now wow what things am i researching right now you know um at the moment i am researching well i'm building merry oaks property finance so you know like from a business point, I, I love property but i equally love business it's what i studied my dad's a businessman um and i am all the time i'm studying more about business than i am uh, like the property sector per se um you know on in the property sector i'm constantly listening to podcasts i'm constantly reading books i'm always listening to own the build i guess own the build you know <laughs> all of these great great outlets media outlets you know i, I like development finance today bridging commercial th those are all great publications where you get endless amounts of news in the marketplace and, and what's going on. So I always keep my head to the ground as to who's doing what. I'm very interested in the built to rent sector. I'm very interested in the PBSA market, but I'm also, as I said, into generally just building businesses. And, and there's one side of like making sure that, and this is the same as when you're a developer. I mean, I, I, I love investors. I love developers. And that's why I want to work really closely with them. And this guy today that I was speaking with, you know, he's, he just needs to build his pipeline to be able to have more leads coming through so that he has more deals that he can do. Um, and when I'm running my business, it's kind of the same sort of thing. But uh, there becomes a time where you've done really well with the marketing or you've, you know, you've generated all this interest and you've got all these people knocking on the door and the phone's ringing. And then you've got to make sure that the product's as good as you said it was. So you've got to make sure the service is on point as well. And sometimes the imbalance, you know, it causes more problems. Um, than you'd like. So how can you resolve that? How can you use that to your advantage? So these are the sorts of things that I'm learning. You know, the property thing is constant. It's always uh, at the forefront of my mind. I'm checking publications all day, but I'm also reading about business to make sure that the service is on point. Well, I imagine, Sam, that your business is going to be uh, fantastic because I can see all of the passion that you have for A, business and B, property and all of the experience that you have coming on with uh your experience in the in the sector as well so i'm sure you're going to be a, a great success and i will be dropping uh sam's details as well as uh, a link to merry finances website to your website in the episode description and i can only thank you sam for taking time out of what can only be an incredibly busy schedule at the moment to come and talk to us it's been a real pleasure to have you on thank you so much for having me real real pleasure Awesome. And um, thanks to everyone who is listening. Uh, keep the feedback coming. We're loving it. Next week, Liam is back and all will be right with the world. <laughs> thanks, everyone. And see you next week. See you, Sam. Cheers. Cheers, mate.